My father is a preacher. Growing up, we always lived in parsonages. Though the last one may have been the creepiest, by far the greatest influence on my unease with dark belongs to the house in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. I was about five years old. I lay in bed, the covers pulled to the bottom of my chin, my eyes searching the darkness. Good night, Emily, I said nervously. Night, she shuffled in the upper bunk, huffing, flopped once more and settled for good. I wasn't so lucky. A feeling of disquiet shuddered through me. Our room didn't have a window, and Emily preferred we not have a nightlight. My parents had recently made of the basement a second and third bedroom. This was our first night in the new arrangement. Emily and I shared a bunk bed in one room. Our sister Sarah slept alone in the other. The house sounded different down here. The groans and pops of the shifting foundation felt closer, louder. I clutched my covers, chanting, It's just the house, it's just the house, like a mantra. Eventually, my eyelids grew heavy with sleep. Nature's call wrenched me awake in the dead of night. Emily's steady breathing reached me through the darkness. Sitting up, the covers spilled around me. I knew, as old children do, that letting my feet dangle off the bed was an invitation to be grabbed by whatever lurked beneath. I crouched on top of the mattress and sprang, landing a safe distance away. Emily lay undisturbed by my gymnastics. I opened the bedroom door, crept out, and closed it gently behind me. I stole past the piano whose keys had known a tune in years and the rarely used pool table beside Sarah's room. Just beyond this, our parakeets slept soundly in a cage built by my father. Waking them would alarm the whole house. I sidled by, quiet as a shadow. Another door and I would be in the family room, through which I could sprint for the stairs leading to the main floor. When my toes met the warm carpet, I sucked in air. Next, I would have to pass the laundry room. A small alcove within, affectionately dubbed the Witch's Cauldron due to the concrete rain basin protruding from its center, inspired me by daylight. By night, it powered the darker side of my imagination. Launching forward, I dashed to the staircase, my safety gained once on the first step. The carpet masked my footfall, my breath quickened as I climbed. Midway up, I began to relax. Breathe in, step up. Breathe out, step up. Only a few more rooms to go. The hinges squealed faintly as I opened the door at the top of the stairs. Truth be told, there was a bathroom off of the kitchen. The next to it was a door to the outside that scared me nearly as much as the witch's cauldron. Coyotes were known to skulk about. They'd slaughtered our rabbits not long ago, but I knew that the darkness hid creatures far worse than hungry coyotes. That bathroom was not an option. All I had to do was make it through the kitchen, the dining room, and a few steps down the hall. Off to the left of the kitchen was the living room, in many ways the hub of our house. My siblings and I often played there on Sunday afternoons after church. The linoleum was cool under my bare feet, and the house still. As I crossed past the living room, however, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I looked in and froze. Five pairs of red eyes glowered at me from the couch. I couldn't see the menacing smiles beneath those eyes, but I felt them. For all the moonlight falling through the curtains behind them, the shadow figures were indistinct. I pushed forward toward the bathroom. Will they still be there when I get to the dining room, I wondered, in abject terror. My heart pounded against my ribs as I reached the edge of the linoleum. The dining room loomed before me. Do I look? I gasped for air. Unable to resist, I looked into the living room. The figures remained. Now, however, their gaze followed me. They made no effort to move, but I wasn't about to wait to see if they would. I fled to the bathroom, no longer caring who I might wake up. Afterwards... I ran back to the basement, shielding my eyes as I passed the living room. If I didn't see them, I was safe, right? Down the stairs and past the witch's cauldron I ran, careful not to disturb the parakeets. I skirted the pool table, entered our room, and sprang to my bunk. I huddled beneath the covers for safety. Despite my panic, Emily hadn't stirred. Will anyone believe me, I thought, as I tried to push the fear out of my mind. Do I believe me? I told Emily the next morning. She did. A few weeks later, she saw the undesired visitors for herself in Sarah's room, three figures in the corner watching her. My eldest sister, too, had her own interlude with the paranormal in that house, a face print on the window. Did our renovations disturb something? 
Was our imagination breathing life into phantoms and getting the better of us? I'll never know. From that day forward, if I had to pass the living room in darkness, I never looked in. I'm Jamie Markey. And I am a nail-biting Michael Tatum. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and this is Ghoul Intentions. Today's episode is titled, Whatever Walked There, Walked Alone, which comes from Shirley Jackson's book, The Haunting of Hill House. It's one, one of, of your favorites, it correct? It is absolutely one of my favorites. I think it may just be the best short novel on the paranormal uh, written in the English language that I have read. Anyway. Really? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's very, very creepy. It's all about what being in a haunted house does to the mind of a person there. You know, you never really see or get an explanation about the ghosts, but they are there. Their presence affects the frame of mind of the people there. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what a lot of these stories are about. It's kind of the sense, the, the, um, the, ha- the way a haunting really can affect how you view the place where the haunting takes. Right. Yeah, where the haunting happens. So how the haunting fucks with you exactly got it that's (laughs) i understand now that's that's the um very casual way of saying it that that is what i represent on this podcast and yeah it's well (laughs) not just not just any hauntings but we (laughs) talked about this hauntings that seem to be mysterious like they're they were there before you you know it's like hauntings have a way i find uh, at least every time I've encountered something, they have a way of really changing your perspective on a place. Mm-hmm. You know, I think dwellings, be they homes or a place where you go to school or work or something, they're very much an extension of how we see ourselves. And when those places are, quote-unquote, invaded by the supernatural, or when we find that we invaded, <laughs> right. which is often as not Oopsies. the case, uh, it really changes how we see ourselves in, in small incremental mm-hmm. ways over time right yeah. so it's in a previous episode it was how uh you know ghosts on a mission and it wasn't personal this is very much still personal but that haunting has nothing to do with you yeah right yeah yeah, yeah. uh i feel as though melissa's story thank you so much for yes, submitting melissa, that. melissa well done well amazing done. story uh i feel as though that story would definitely fuck with me had that happened to me uh, I'm going to have nightmares tonight about that. I think we've all experienced some variation on what she went through. Just having to, you know, go, you know, creep through a dark house in the middle Mm -hmm. of the night trying not to wake anybody up because you had to go to the bathroom. I mean, we've all been there. Yes, I I believe we've all, we all have that fear. But then to actually see some sort of shadowy bullshit. No. Right, right, right. No, I don't. That would mess me up. And who knows? I mean, you know, this was their first night in the basement as a bedroom so who knows it's you know, those things on the in the living room were probably there every night and she just never had a reason right. to see them because she never came down maybe the reason they were so happy to see her is just because they were happy to see anyone <laughs> maybe they originally considered the basement their domicile and were kind of driven out when out. the bedroom was when the bed when the place was renovated to make room for the beds and so they just go to so the living room? To the living room and be like fine we're gonna be ironic <laughs> and, claim, and claim the living room <laughs> but but what five pairs of eyes can you imagine Ooh. just walking into a room you thought was empty and seeing five people i can't imagine that and i don't like it it's i would i would be freaked out right. i would have i'm uh, melissa i am amazed that you made it to the bathroom at that point i would have just been like oh never mind i no longer have to go i shit myself right there yeah. <laughs> just did it just now the other thing i feel as though melissa you are a very brave person because you made it to the restroom. You went to the restroom mm-hmm. and then you went back. I would have, st- had I made it that far, mm. I would have stayed in the restroom the rest of the night, hiding. It's funny, but I mean, you know, you want to stay by yourself in a tiny little bathroom rather Versus than Versus passing that? Well, because the Again? option is you could stay in the, well, the devil's advocate here, you could stay in the ba- in the bathroom, which is off in the corner of the house near no one, mm-hmm. um, and, and if these things came for you, you'd be defenseless, or you could risk running back by them and at least be near your sisters in the basement. Right. So you'd have a nice, you know, you'd have a team if, if push came to shove. Right. I, what I find interesting, and this is such a, such a nine-year-old thing to do, or I assume she, I'm not, how old was she said she was? I think she's five she's, years old. Five she's years old. Five what years a five-year-old old. thing to do to like still not want to wake anyone up after seeing something like that. And I understand the logic because you don't, 
maybe part of you just doesn't want anyone else to acknowledge that those things are real. Because if mm -hmm. no one else sees it, then you can always be like, well, that was my imagination. But if, if you wake everyone up and someone else comes and sees it, oh, you're screwed. Right. <laughs> I don't know if... I feel like I would have woken up my mother if I was scared. I used to... Because I would wake... I was big on waking I've known, up. I've known stories. I, a friend of mine, I won't go into detail because I'll spare it for another uh, podcast, but a friend of mine uh, actually when she was a girl little bitty uh heard something in her mother's room and walked in and her mother was asleep and there was something in there that she could see and she screamed when she saw it mother never heard her oh. she remembers she wasn't awake i mean she she i mean she wasn't uh, asleep rather she was awake the whole night after that she couldn't go to sleep because of what she saw but her mother never heard anything so sometimes it's like maybe whatever's there has the way of kind of drowning out whatever noise you might make if you see it that's kind of horrifying to consider but I used to have nightmares uh, and call my mom in and she would come in mm. all the time and she started to get kind of fed up about it um, and I was always telling her that they were coming to get me and that I, the spiders were coming to get me oh. and then one day I was having a nightmare called for her she came in turned on the lights and there were literally spiders along the wall crawling towards me so I was not having nightmares to revisit what we talked about last time. You, it was real. There were real spiders mm -hmm. heading my direction no. like the bastards they are. And so my mom, uh, you know, I, I was in a bunk bed at the time. She pulled me down and and then I think after that it was like whatever you need to scream or get me for I'm here and I'm sorry that I thought they were just nightmares. Okay, real talk though. If, if I had to choose between spiders near my bed and and five pairs of glowing eyes in, the in another room, room i think i'd probably take my chances with the glowing eyes they might Same. be friendly yeah spiders no fuck them i don't trust them i do not <laughs> trust them i actually yes. have decorated my house i'm in the process of decorating uh -huh, for halloween uh -huh. and i have little spider stickers they're, everywhere they're so cute yeah they're little window clings mm -hmm. but i put one on my sliding glass door right under the handle just because i thought it'd be fun Ooh. um to startle people and yeah. i have scared the shit out of myself three times <laughs> that's what you get doing. it's what Karma. I get. <laughs> but that's gonna make it so much more rewarding when it terrifies other people that's true because yeah. you'll really you'll empathize with them I Melissa's story kind of reminds me of an experience my brother had I have an older brother and when he would get up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom he uh, he's about seven years older than me so he would get up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom and have to pass by my nursery when I was a baby and one night he so he says how much older uh, seven years, about seven, seven eight years, somewhere, almost the better part of a decade. And he, so he says, one night, got up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom, just kind of absently looked into the nursery as he was passing by, and only while he was at the toilet peeing did he get it kind of register that he saw something that ought not be there, so he made it a point to look a little more closely when he passed back by, and swore as he saw something, uh, which he told me about much later when I was grown, and I didn't believe him for the longest time. I thought, oh, you're just trying to scare the shit out of me, you bastard, because he loved freaking me out, and I loved right. being freaked out, so I was the perfect audience for that. But my <laughs> brother didn't have much of an imagination for these kinds of stories. It was the only time he'd ever tried to scare me with something quote-unquote supernatural, and so I didn't believe him for the longest time, and then I saw it myself in that room years later when I was 18, 19. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, that's, I'll, I'll, there's more to that story, which I love teasing for future episodes. I have a lot of stories. A lot of stories. Um, but thank you, Melissa, for taking us back to um, that time in our lives when a simple trip through the house to go to the bathroom mm -hmm. is just fraught with peril. Yes. <laughs> that most adults just don't understand. The, the dark is a terrifying thing. Mm -hmm. um, our next submission. Let's have a sip. Oh, of our Moscow mules. mules. I know I need one after Cheers. the story we just read. Cheers. Clunk. Is a good slurp there, Michael? Oh, God, I don't mm -hmm. mess around with Moscow mules. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Anna. This is the jogger. I feel like anyone who lives in Colorado has most likely heard about the ghosts at the Stanley Hotel. Stephen King fans, I'm sure, know about it as well. I actually spent the night there for my sweet 16th birthday party, but that's another story. I don't live anywhere near the Stanley Hotel, but I do live near a spot that, in my opinion, is scarier than anything there. 
Riverdale Road. It's sort of a local legend in the suburbia that is my hometown. I couldn't go in October in high school without my friends and classmates sharing spooky tales of their experiences there. I was curious about it all, but never went down the road as it was never in my familiar route to get to work or get home. So altogether, I just avoided it, because while I was curious and very passionate about learning all things paranormal, I scare very easily. As cruel fate would have it, a close friend of mine does happen to live near Riverdale Road, and she needed a ride home after school for about a week since both of her parents were working late. I agreed to take her home because it really wasn't that far out of my way, about an 18 minute drive, so really not too bad. For the first couple of days, I took busier streets to get to her house rather than drive down Riverdale. Sure, there were multiple chances to take it as the road was less busy, but at the time, I felt the need to get over my fear of driving out on busy streets. One day, as I was taking her home, traffic was starting to get pretty backed up and the sun was starting to set. A part of me was panicking a little bit as I was running low on gas and I left my wallet in my gym locker at school. It was already too late to go back and get it. I knew once I dropped her off, my only option would be to take Riverdale. I could either sit in some crappy traffic for God knows how long and risk running out of gas, or suck up my fear and take the so-called haunted road home. By the time I dropped her off, day had quickly turned to night. I turned on my GPS and headed home. For the first half of the drive, it was nice and not too busy. There was some traffic and a few houses here and there, which made the road feel a little less creepy. But all the stories I heard about Riverdale kept tugging at me in the back of my mind. Like the literal gates to hell being located by some old rusty gates where a man is rumored to have burned his house to the ground with his family still asleep inside. Supposedly, you know you're near it when you see a lady dressed in all white walking around. It's assumed she's the wife of the man, and that she's either out for revenge or searching for her lost children. The most she's ever done to people is appear in their rearview mirror, though. There are also countless tales of demonic activity that happen near abandoned buildings on the road. Buildings used for satanic rituals. Those stories must be based on some truth, though because pet shops in the area refuse to sell any black cats or rabbits. The list of terrifying events on this road are honestly endless. With each story I thought about, the more and more scared I got. So, I decided to blast my car radio and enjoy listening to some Panic at the Disco to take my mind off of it. I continued driving and singing along to the music until I started getting this heavy feeling as I entered a more wooded area of the road. I barely saw any cars by this point, which just made my anxiety even worse. I passed by some rather large, dead trees, and the heavy feeling intensified. I sped up. I didn't care if some cop pulled me over or not. At least there would be another living person on the road besides me. I felt my blood run cold when I noticed that one of my headlights had gone out. Another mysterious thing that happens to people when they drive down this road. Perhaps my fear was getting the best of me, but my whole body began shaking and my breathing became heavy. I knew if I kept pushing myself to drive, it could become dangerous. So I pulled over onto a dirt road by a large hill and dialed my mom's phone number, hoping a familiar voice could just calm me down. I turned off my car to save what little gas I had left and sat there, alone, in the silence, praying for my mother to pick up. But there wasn't any service in the area. I was about to start screaming and cursing, but I became frozen in fear when I heard distant footsteps approaching my car. The footsteps were heavy, the obvious sounds of someone running and Whoever it was, wasn't running away. They were running towards me. 
I turned to look over my shoulder and out my back window to see if I could see someone. But no one was out there. That's when I said, fuck this, and started my car so I could finish the damn drive and never have to go back down this road again. I drove even though one of my headlights was still out. At least I knew I would get home soon and could watch some anime or funny videos to make myself feel better. All that hope was ripped apart when I felt my car hit a huge bump in the road. As if my night wasn't already shitty enough, now I'd hit an innocent little animal or something. I stopped my car and turned it off again. Only this time, I climbed out to see what I'd hit as tears began rolling down my face. I turned on the flashlight on my phone and checked around, underneath, and behind my car to see what happened. But there was no evidence anything was hit. No blood, no animal, and certainly nothing lying in the middle of the road. Don't get me wrong, I was truly happy I didn't hit an animal. But the fact there wasn't even a hole in the road or anything that could explain why I felt the bump in the car only made me more terrified. That's when I heard the heavy footsteps heading towards me once again. I shined my light in the direction of the sound of the footsteps. I swear, my heart dropped into my stomach when I saw a tall figure, maybe about six five or so, standing probably 15 feet away from me. I didn't exactly have the time to stop and take in every detail of it as the thing started running in my direction and the sound of those heavy footsteps returned. Tripping over my own feet, I desperately raced back to my car and frantically turned it back on. Slamming on the gas, I sped home and refused to look back on that hellhole of a road. I've shared this story countless times with people and have learned about the so-called jogger I must have encountered at Jogger's Hill. Perhaps the angry jogger just wanted to scare another driver after they were killed in a hit-and-run nearby. Whether it was the jogger, or maybe even something worse... I never want to have to face it again. Yet, there may be a part two to my tale, because on October 30th, my friends and I will be going on a sort of ghost hunt as our pre-celebration for Halloween on Riverdale. I just hope that figure doesn't return for another round of chicken. I love this story so much. I it's, feel like- It's so I creepy. I feel like they do want the figure to return. Yeah, I, I mean, know. You're going, I mean, I get you're conflicted. You you, you want it to you're come going back, back and you don't. But I mean, we've done that. Absolutely. We've had terrifying That's things and then we're yeah. like, let's go back and see if it happens again. Well, it's but all it, better. It's like sharing a horrible experience with someone. It's like, oh my God, the smoke is disgusting. Taste it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh my oh God, my this God. thing ran toward my car. You guys come with me. They'll run toward you. It'll scare the shit out of you. Oh, right. It's very human. But it, maybe going with other people makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah, but oh, what a oh, that's a great story. Yeah, I read this one at night. <laughs> and I was, I yeah, kept hearing sounds everywhere. It was. It's whew, night right it's now so as we're recording this, and I am uneasy about the drive home. I will make right. from this, and at no point will I be going through a, a place that's remotely like no, this, this just Riverdale, Dallas, just Dallas, which City is scary of... for different reasons. Right, but depending upon where you are. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, what a great story! When and. Oh. So I actually looked up, and, and people, if you want to, you can Google um, Riverdale Road in Colorado. And there are a ton of experiences and stories about this road. It's pretty I, amazing. I kind of want to go there. I mean, Colorado's great. Colorado is lovely. And I, yeah. I've been a couple times, and there's a lot of really cool haunted spots. Yeah. But uh, River, River, Riverdale is new to me. Yeah. Ooh, I've gotta, we got we to gotta go. Let's go. Let's see if we can see the jogger. Ghosts on the road are somehow really terrifying to me. Right. Because I don't know. There's something about being, there's something creepy about being on a kind of remote stretch of road to begin with, especially mm -hmm. at night. And uh, I know you and I both grew up in, in the country, so it's that's kind of par for the course. But I don't know. There's something about being on a lonely road at night with no other cars. And then it's like what I said in an earlier podcast. It's like being in the wilderness is kind of frightening because you mm -hmm. feel like, well, I'm not in my element, really, and if something happens, I'm screwed. But far more terrifying than encountering an animal or something is encountering another person where you're like, right. what the fuck are they doing here? And even, like, let's say that this guy isn't a ghost. Number one, it's a 6'5 dude, 
and you're alone in the dark with him running towards you. Who, I might add, if it was just a dude, just a dude, um, threw something in front of the car to get it to stop. Right. Clearly. Or something. So that's a psychopath. Yeah. Even if that doesn't happen, who doesn't stop and say, are you okay? You've clearly just, like, if he's out for whatever running re reason, running at night, uh, why would he not ask her if she was okay? If she had just pulled off in front of him, she's crying, she's mm -hmm. checking around her car for something. Most people that are uh, not psychopaths and not ghosts <laughs> would say something, would say, what are you doing? How, and, you know, are you okay? Are you and even if maybe, not maybe, run at them? And it's, you know, it's maybe, maybe whoever it was was not sociable, but why the hell, who runs down a deserted road with no lights? Well, and, and no reflective clothing of any kind. Like, who, that's that's dangerous. You're just asking to be run over. So that's, I don't think that, no, that's not a person. That was, that was whatever the hell this jogger is. Right. And keep in mind, too, she had pulled off the road onto a side dirt road when she called her mom. So he ran that way. Then she drove off, bumped something, and all of a sudden he caught up with her. Mm. No, I don't like that. And it matches the stories that have previously been told. So that's something interesting too, is when an experience happens to you that you find out later has happened to multiple people. Here's another story from that ghost tour I took that one time. One time I'll just tell a whole story about that oh ghost tour. Oh my God, tour. yes, please. Wait, another sip of mule. I mean, I can still talk. Oh no, I can't, not while you're slurping. <laughs> so, uh, it's it's a story there's there's a morgue it used to be a morgue now it's a maintenance area in this area that was a maintenance area where i saw the lights um and i told this in a previous story there was a box of uh the long lights what are they called the fluorescent fluorescent lights and they were stacked and it was like a box of i think four boxes of them and the top box was open mm -hmm. and i saw twice the lights inside the box turn on which they don't do no because <laughs> it's because science because because science right yes. and so that had happened twice and it was in this particular area that um now this it was at the crescent hotel which i'm sure everybody's heard of who knows any kind of like ghost stories about hotels and stuff the crescent hotel in eureka springs mm -hmm. and there are a plethora of experiences of a uh man being in this room and doing stuff in this spot so people have taken pictures where you can see the shadow of a man uh i think mm -hmm. ghost hunters went there and probably some of the other ghost shows they went there and in this room specifically a lot of people capture stuff mm -hmm. so after having this happen to me to hear all of these other stories from this exact same spot that i was and experienced that is i don't know there's something comforting about it because it just helps validate, I guess. You know, you're not crazy. The validation sure. is powerful. Uh, but but that is something that's fascinating to me. And, and different things would happen to different people. But for me, it was the lights. That's, that's I mean, it's spooky. And getting back to the theme of, of the, the road in the dark, there's something profoundly terrifying of not being able to outrun something with your car. Right. Like when you mentioned that about, yeah, she'd pull mm -hmm. off to the side road. She'd been on the road for a little bit and it, since she'd heard the footsteps and now here it was, whoever it was, whatever it was, was close by again. That's terrifying. Right. Have because... you played the, uh, the Friday the 13th video game? Mm -mm. Oh my God. So you can get a car and drive <laughs> off, but you can, so you can either play the campers or you can play Jason and you don't know until you start playing who oh, you're going to be. But if you're Jason, you have to kill everybody. <laughs> And in your campers, you have to escape. And one of the ways to escape is the car. You got to get by. There's a whole thing. <laughs> but I feel like in most games, you're probably playing Jason because your job in most games is to kill things. To, yeah, this one, <laughs> pretty. <laughs> if you get Jason, it's like I finally got Jason. I get to murder everybody. <laughs> oh, all that hard work is finally is, paid off. It's it's actually really fun <laughs> and it's spooky because you never know if any if he's going to be around the corner. So it's very much like the movies. And then um, if you drive off in the with the car. Uh, he can run and just catch up with you. That's a classic <laughs> horror movie trope. And that's though. that same thing. And it's interesting because when you're playing it, you get that same like <laughs> if he's chasing you, or if you're watching. But if, but if you're play playing it. Jason, you're like I have so much power. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like this. It's yeah. like the Flash. You've just discovered you can run really fast and not right. look like you're running. 
I that was something that always terrified me about the original Halloween and Friday the 13th and all the classic like slasher movies is you could run for your life full tilt and look and turn around and there there your pursuer is the same distance behind you just right. walking calmly That's yeah so terrifying whistling so and terrifying yeah it's and funny. that's uh, that's what happened in this story. And it was funny. This, you know, it's also a pretty interesting uh, and a very typical thing uh, for this. Rish. You mentioned earlier, Anna did about uh, one of the ghosts known to roam Rivendell Road was the the woman in white. Mm -hmm. You know how many women in white there are. There are a lot of There's women so many. In Phantom white. Hitchhike. We have one here in Dallas, the Lady of White Rock Lake. Right. Uh, there is there's her. Resurrection Mary outside of Chicago, right. who is uh, outside of, of uh, the, the one in Dallas. Cemetery is uh the the whole story about the woman and she's wet and her car has gone uh -huh. into the uh -huh. lake and so she needs a ride home and then you take her home and she's not there and you knock on the door and the parents are like oh she died last year or two years or three years or however many years ago it had been and then um then you look in your car and your car's wet or whatever yeah like yeah. that whole thing similar with uh, resurrection mary i know people who've seen her though at really? White Rock. Yeah. I've never met anyone that's that's seen her. Yes, they were uh I'm not gonna say their names. Oh, <laughs> but oh. they were uh sitting in their car um and uh by the lake and it was dark and they may or may not have been uh smoking weed. Uh they were not doing any kind of hallucinogenics or anything uh, like that. Those ne'er do wells. <laughs> they were <laughs> they were but at least they weren't in a forest uh, so, no, they were just out near White Rock Lake. Near White Rock Lake. Which is <laughs> as good as. It's pretty. It's pretty is out it? of the well. Anyway, it's, it's not a forest, but it's it's nature. So anyway, <laughs> they uh, they looked behind the car and they saw a woman walking towards them in white, uh, just kind of like a, a spooky figure in white in the middle of the night walking towards them by the lake and they said uh no and they left <laughs> well you gotta wonder if ghosts now if like the phantom hitchhikers like call ubers now like if they have a way to do that i mean I, and, I, and i say that somewhat facetiously but now I, as i hear myself say it i think i wonder what kind of stories uber drivers have about that kind of I thing because that's their job is to pick people as no one picks up hitchhikers anymore um, really, so I imagine, you know, until the advent of like Uber and Lyft and ride chairs, like I, I imagine that like Phantom Hitchhikers in the past decade or so have had a really rough time of it because they just, yeah. no one picks them up anymore because no one, I wouldn't, I've never picked up a hitchhiker, but like no. in our parents' day, it was pretty common in the hippies, you know, they'd be like, right. hey. You and that's ride? when all the stories happen that teach you not to pick up hitchhikers. But you think too, um, you know, there are so many stories, and I think we've even tweeted about it, tweeted about it on Ghoul Intentions mm -hmm. uh, Twitter, Ghoul Intent, uh, about how often seeing something, spirits at the side of the road happens, highways, roads. The first time, and we'll talk about this at another time, but the first time I ever actually believe I saw a spirit, a ghost, an apparition, whatever, was driving on the road. That's right, when you actually saw something. Yes. And that seems to be common. It was there and then it's not. And it's there's nowhere for that person to go, nowhere for that person to disappear to where what happened. And it and it happens a lot. And I don't know if it's that because, you know, there's a lot of crime that ends on the side of a road. Mm -hmm. There's car accidents. There's there's multiple ways for there to be perhaps a tragic loss of life that sure. would bring sure. about uh well, also the open Spiritual. road brings you through territories you wouldn't normally encounter. You know, how many towns mm. do you pass through that you have no reason to stop in? You know, that, that you, you know everything happens in little towns out of the way, places like that. Was, you know, because all sorts of creepy things can happen with impunity in places that are out of the way. Uh, but, you know, and in yeah. thriving cities, it's harder to get away with stuff, I guess. But out right. in the country... Or in the Which, doesn't that make you wonder, though, about cities? Like, what happens in a city that you see... But you don't realize nobody else sees it. Oh, that's terrifying. I know. It's interesting too. More I, that everybody sees, but it isn't there. You know, on, on a funny note, I, I want to tell a really quick story here. When I was in high school, I was uh, one of the writers on the school newspaper, and we had an issue due out on Halloween the year I think I was a sophomore. 
And so I went around collecting real life ghost stories from fellow students to put them all in a big, you know, front page piece. And one of the stories someone told me was about the cemetery that was close to uh, our house, close to, it was practically right next door to our high school, but it's just down the road from where I lived. And it was creepy, old cemetery, very classic, you know, horror movie, <laughs> you know, because it was old, old, old. And the story was that someone had, you know, some woman in white would appear on certain nights when the church bell rang midnight and you could see her, you know, moving and disappearing and reappearing and disappearing and reappearing among the, the older tombstones in one corner of the cemetery. And I got a story from a friend of mine who was a senior that year, as I recall, and she's like, oh yeah, no, my boyfriend at the time, we, she, he, uh, he took a bunch of us out there and, you know, the, the bells chimed midnight and sure enough, way down the corner from where we were parked, we could see this woman in a white dress just appear and then she'd walk a little ways and then just whoop, zip out of existence and then she'd appear back where she'd started and kind of do the whole thing over again, time after time. Of course, we freaked out and we got out of there and it was, oh my God, true, true to life, hand of God. And I included that in my in my story. It was my it was everyone's favorite story because it was so dramatic. And uh, <laughs> years later, I was telling that story to someone that I didn't that I went to high school with but didn't know at the time. And uh, I we were telling ghost stories like you and I do. And then she started cracking up and she's like, "Oh yeah, I know who I know who that ghost was. Who me?" <laughs> <laughs> She, they had played a prank on this poor girl and she had just, you know, put on some white dress and then, you know, covered herself in like a dark sheet. So, you know, hiding out there, you so couldn't in see the her. Shadow, so she would just, she would just take off the sheet uh, and then walk a little way and then put the sheet back on and retrace her steps and then do it all over again. So it oh my God. very cheap, you know, in a very cheap, efficient way of getting that illusion. Pranking. But, yeah, of pranking. It was a great story. If you guys want to, if anybody wants to do that and film people getting terrified, that would be amazing. I, I don't, but please don't get yourself killed. No, <laughs> don't do that. People might not pick up han phantom hitchhikers anymore, but I do feel like people do shoot try to ghosts. shoot at ghosts or demons right. or what they think or people pretending to be ghosts and demons. So don't, don't. Do it to someone that you know is an easy mark. Be nice to your spirits <laughs> and yourself, people. Um, but that's all about stuff that we've seen, the things that you see. Yes. Um, so this next story comes to us from Kyle. And it also takes place in Colorado. Colorado. Fittingly enough. And Does it um, also have nothing to do with the Stanley? It has okay. nothing to do with the Stanley. Okay, as, great. As far as Perfect. I can tell, but who knows? <laughs> The joyous summer days of Colorado found my friends and I doing what any group of rowdy 12-year-olds do, blazing trails, building forts, and generally stirring up mischief as we traversed the pine and brush-covered foothills bordering our quiet neighborhood on the edge of town. One of our favorite places was an old foundation on a hill, the remains of a settler's cabin from the gold rush days. No one knew much about the builders. It was simply one of two fading imprints left by someone from a bygone era to mark their presence. The second imprint, only twenty or so feet from the foundation, appeared to be a grave. The adults in our lives scoffed at the idea, but having gone back to see it in recent years, I don't know what else it could be. It was a rectangle of earth about six feet by two feet, sunken down from the surrounding earth by about two or three inches, giving the indication that can be seen in many old cemeteries of a grave whose wooden coffin has collapsed. There was no headstone to speak of, though we swore the impression at one end indicated a marker must have been driven into the soil at some point. Though to this day, despite researching at the local library, no one I know of possesses additional information about the site. It proved a great source of wild, fantastic stories about who had lived and apparently died there. We never took any of it too seriously. That is, until one starry August night that forever changed my perspective on the supernatural. The houses on our side of the street stood at the top of a small ridge, so that our front yard sloped down toward the sidewalk. The houses opposite were situated lower, giving us a commanding view of the neighborhood. The street ended in a cul-de-sac one block to the right of us. If one followed the imaginary line beyond and into the hills, the old cabin foundation would be found only a short distance away. A lone street lamp stood close, such that anyone walking by would have to pass through its light. That night, as was typical of summer, I slept with my window slightly open to let in the cool night air. The drone of crickets and the rhythmic sputtering of our sprinklers soothed me, 
and I didn't mind too much the distant yaps and yowls of local coyotes making their rounds. But it was no coyote that roused me from my sleep at 3.15. The sound that reached into my dreams and dragged me into consciousness was of a woman crying. While solitary human weeping from the darkness at some ungodly hour is an eerie experience in its own right, I was skeptical enough even at that age to assume some girl from the local college had gotten into a fight with her boyfriend at a party and was now stumbling her way home. As my mind slowly awoke, however, I realized the distant crying was not coming from the street, but from the brush-covered hills beyond. I can't say with certainty whether it was coming from where the old cabin's foundation stood, but it was coming from that general direction. A twinge of fear crept into my thoughts as I realized the crier was moving toward our house. The weeping grew louder and more distinct as it neared, and it struck me I was hearing not the distress of typical relationship drama, but the mournful wail of soul-rending despair, the keening of a broken spirit, a sorrow that would never find peace. Hearing it, I could feel the pain welling up in my own heart. The vicarious heartbreak was soon eclipsed by dread. I sat up and looked out the window. My bedroom faced the street. As I surveyed the darkness outside, the crying seemed to emerge from the brush at the end of the cul-de-sac and steadily make its way along the pavement. The sound bounced off the houses on either side of our street. Whomever these sounds came from was shuffling down the sidewalk and would soon pass under the street lamp. My throat tightened as I realized that no footsteps, no noise of any kind apart from the terrible wailing, were in evidence. I gripped the windowsill with both hands, my pulse quickening as I braced myself for whatever I was about to see. My eyes were transfixed on the street as the crying passed below our house into the street lamp's glow, and nothing else came with it. No person, no animal, nothing. The source ought to have been plainly visible. But still, the cries echoed through the night as a disembodied voice. The raw terror I was seized with at that moment was unlike anything I have felt before or since. I sat frozen, utterly petrified, as the spectral keening made its way through the circle of light and into the darkness on the other side. Down the street and deeper into the neighborhood, the crying went, still echoing off the houses. Cries slowly faded until only the shrillest peaks cut through the never-ending crickets. I sat, staring out the window in utter shock for what must have been hours. Only when the first rays of sunlight crept over the mountains did I slip back into sleep. Later that day I met up with my friends. Shaken though I was, I gave the details as best I could. They laughed and accused me of trying to get a cheap scare, but the quietest kid in our group spoke in my defense. His father, he said, had told them at breakfast he'd been awoken in the night by some dumbass drunk lady bawling like a baby out in the street, which he offhandedly attributed to the influx of crass big city folk encroaching on our sleepy town. Emboldened by the light of an August afternoon, we tried to trace the whaler's path back to the cabin site. Reluctantly, we stood over the rectangle of sunken earth we were sure marked someone's final resting place. What we expected to find, I can't say. What we found chilled us to the bone. Blue columbine, Colorado state flower, which grows at higher elevations, is never seen in the foothills. Yet there, in the middle of this lonely grave, lay side by side three of the beautiful blue and white blossoms, as if left there by hand. Oof. Yeah. That's, uh... The crying, the crying really gets me. Yeah. I think we've all heard someone crying wailing really. wailing in like in the night like not knowing who it was i mean i've been in that situation I've, have you i've not been in that situation thank god <laughs> it's easy to imagine who, though why do you just assume why do you assume that people just naturally hear chicks wailing in the night i don't know i mean you seem like an adventurous sort <laughs> i don't know i've lived in a lot of apartments and in, in apartments you hear everything you know, you hear people crying uh, out in the parking lot, or you hear them fighting in the apartment next door. I the question your apartment choices. Well, you're you, you're not wrong, <laughs> <laughs> but but mm -mm. no, I mean, but it's but there's something about I've, I've never been in this situation where you hear it where the just where it makes no sense for one to be ever. Like I've right. never heard crying 
Well, you were saying earlier, how many times have you seen or hear, heard something in the city that is just because you're used to seeing so many things in the city, you don't right. realize what you're seeing is something only you can see. That's terrifying to me. But what I wonder what the story, I mean, if it was in fact tied to, you know, Who is the that grave, bitch? Why is she sad? What's with the, the flowers? Person, There's so many questions. Well, I mean, is it the question, the questions I think of are, is it, the person buried there or is it the person who did the burying because you know it sounds well, that's a good question because yeah. it's it may, maybe uh, you know if i were reading this as a work of fiction which it is not uh, i would think oh okay the ghost the person that was cra- the keening because keening is a you know it's, a, it's an important word it's an irish tradition of mm-hmm. you know a very specific type of of uh, mournful wailing at the graveside you can hire keeners you can yeah Professional mourners, they're called mm-hmm. in other cultures. But I so, think I would be really good at that. You'd really? I yeah, I think I, I. I don't. Well, you know what? You're 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 an amazing actress. I'll give you that. Thank you. I would have a hard time not giggling. I have a hard enough time not giggling at a casket of someone I love. It's not because I'm right. genuinely, you know, happy in that moment or want to laugh. It's just because you know you're not supposed it's to. Awkward. I suddenly go, damn it! Why do I? Right. Why, but you know. see, I feel like if you don't know the person. It would be easier. And then just the catharsis of being able to just cry and let out all of it. Oh, yeah. That's going to be a very healthy profession. And and as an actor, you know, you're feeding off that energy that of everybody else's sorrow. So if it was, you know. I'm not saying I want to do it. I'm well, I don't. I, think I, I don't. I'm going to say I don't think this this ghost was of a professional keener because what no. what who living in in a settler's cabin in the foothills of Colorado could afford, you know, to fly someone in, uh, you know, or, or right. you know, whatever cross country to um, cry at their funeral. So my thinking is maybe it's the ghost. If again, if this were a work of fiction, which again it is not, probably I would. Well, I'm taking it at face value. But if uh, if I were reading this as a work of fiction, I'd think, oh, clearly the um, the ghost is whoever left those flowers. Right. The ghost is someone because they're walking away from the grave. Yeah. It seemed from the grave to wherever they went afterwards. Oof. So, oh, that's amazing. I think uh, what you know, we have one more story, which is my turn to tell a story. Ooh, yes. So. Which one are you gonna tell? Well, I think because we're talking about hauntings that end up being a little personal. It's weird. Like, it feels like they're trying to get your attention and something that's probably been there for a while. We'll talk about the Adolphus Hotel in downtown Dallas. So for those who don't know, the Adolphus Hotel is one of the oldest hotels in Dallas. It's not the oldest. I think there's at least one other that's older, but the Adolphus is real close to it in age. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's fancier it is very fancy it's very nice you can get a high tea there on sundays right it's where Sunday the queen tea. goes when she's ever in north texas she stays right uh, for the many times Elizabeth. that the queen of england comes to dallas former texas presidents stay there like yeah. it's, it's it's where i mean former presidents live here people. so that's true uh <laughs> No comment. <laughs> but uh, so my first experience with the Adolphus was um, I, I had heard about it and I knew it was haunted and everything, but it was actually with my parents. Now, my parents and I, um, my parents lived in Oklahoma and so they would come see me and my and my brother Jean-Luc, which we've talked about a lot. We should get him on the show at some point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. But uh they were coming to town and I used hotwire.com to book their hotel. And that's always kind of like Christmas because you book it and you don't know where you're staying. You know the area, you know like how many stars the hotel has and what the reviews are and, you know, the details. Like, can you have pets? Can you park? What's the, you know, like what's all the, the situation? And so we had booked it and I was like, all right, mom, let's see what it is. Drum roll. And I uh, got the sent it through and got the answer and it was the Adolphus. And I was like, oh my God, mom, you're staying at one of the most haunted hotels in all of Dallas. Yay, yay. And she- In parentheses, also one of the fanciest hotels. Also, but it's haunted. But it's very nice. It's very nice. <laughs> so my uh, parents came and they stayed. Now, my mom and I, you know, we have, we have some leanings towards the sensitivity. 
yeah. side of things. Most definitely. And we did some walking through, and there was definitely energy. You could there was a different kind of energy. Now, what you will hear are stories about uh, the nineteenth floor. The nineteenth floor uh, used to have a ballroom in its heyday. That's uh-huh. where big parties, big events would happen, especially in the 40s, I believe, was a big yeah. time for it. A lot of the big band luminaries of the day played there. Like yes. The Dorsey Brothers and Glenn Miller. And like if you, were, if you came, if you were in the big band scene, like signed to a record label and you came through Dallas, Dallas that's you, where you That's play. where you played. Right. So, uh, I don't remember when, 20 years plus ago, they closed up that ballroom they sealed it off and and used part of it to make more rooms out of because they weren't really using it that often uh, there are a lot of mi- music venues in dallas and i think that had uh, something to do with it yeah. so they sealed it up and made some rooms out of some of the space but the only way you could get to that ballroom is through a crawl space and that was only for maintenance for specific things but for the most part they just left it alone big <laughs> ballroom just left alone <laughs> And they would regularly uh, get complaints at the Adolphus from people on the 19th floor asking them why they put them on the same floor with a ballroom because they could hear big band music playing in their room and they couldn't sleep because it was too loud. Or something you can actually find on YouTube is the phone ringing and on the 19th floor uh, and doors opening and closing. Oh, you mean like the phones uh, near the elevator bay? Yeah. Like the little house phones? They had little house phones, yeah. That you could call to talk to to the front desk or maids yeah. or something like that. They'd have like an actual phone that was plugged into the wall. It was very retro. <laughs> <laughs> you and couldn't get an outside line on no, it. No, 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 no. It was only inside the hotel. And so the phone would ring. People can ans- would answer it. Nobody would be on the other line or they'd get static. And the elevator doors just open and close. And and it's it's like all of them. Not one one elevator arrives. All of the elevators are at the floor, and all the doors are just opening and closing. They're not giving you any time to get in or out. Some videos, some people will jump in and then jump back out, but they're having to go quickly, and that is such a bad idea. Oh my gosh, you guys! Do if you know how many people got injured in elevators, you would never even put your hand out to stop an elevator. If we're ever with you in a, in a in an elevator and we see anyone do that, we will yell at you. Yeah, mercilessly. Yeah, yeah. Just it's for everyone's safety. So if, I mean, you can look it up on YouTube and see these videos about stuff like that. So my mom actually and I, we experienced the elevator door craziness, but it was not on the 19th floor. No? No, it was on the floor that she was on, which was the 14th? Okay, so lower. It was lower. It wasn't the same floor, but all the elevators got to the same floor. Now we had been kind of walking around and feeling the energy as it were. Which feels silly to say out loud for people to hear, but whatever. <laughs> I don't think it sounds silly at all. Okay, well, thank you. So that happened, and it was interesting. And we went, you know, I went and told them good night. And uh, my dad was—he uh, has since passed, but he was—he was a little bit clumsy. So they had this ice bucket and a couple of sodas, and I put the sodas in the ice bucket and pushed it back on to the very back of this desk table so that he in no way, shape, or form could touch it. And it was a pretty big table. It was very wide and, <laughs> or long, or the, de- I don't know, depth, whatever. So <laughs> my mom calls me the next morning and I was like, what's up? And she's like, so something interesting happened last night. <laughs> she woke up in her room and the ice bucket was upside down in the middle of the floor, completely empty. The soda bottles were sitting next to the desk, and the desk was one of the kinds that has glass on top of the desk, and the water from the ice was between the glass and the desk. It was not on top of the glass. That's a Mensa puzzle. Right? That's what that is. So they called <laughs> they called down to the front desk and they came up and the manager at the time, my mom said, does this happen a lot? And the manager said, well, this one's new. <laughs> so that was fun. The next night they woke up and 
something else had moved, but the lamp that was kind of off to the side and was not on my dad's path to anything. <laughs> we always like, what's, what is dad's path? If it's not in the path, I was fine. But it had, it was, it looked like it had been picked up and laid over their chair. And something else, I can't remember specifically what it was, but something else with water spilling. Like there was a cup of water that she had had next to the bed that was on the other side of the room and spilled. So something had happened twice in a row while they were sleeping and neither one of them woke up. And they ended up moving them into a different room after that second time. Sorry, we double booked that room. (laughs) It's you and the ghost. We didn't mean that. Sorry, our fault. The ghost also used that website <laughs> right right <laughs> uh, so those that was my first you know introduction to creepy things that that could happen at the Adelphus. yes and i feel as though um maybe we should save the story that we have until next time <gasps> or in a future podcast oh damn you but it's such, yeah, okay, because it's a long story, and we it could go into story. it because it involves both of us and mm-hmm. two others. You know, yeah, it's it's we were all there. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah, it's a good story. But we should give a little teaser. A little teaser. I will say that we we ourselves went into the ballroom. We did. We were there, and this wasn't terribly long ago. This was within the Couple past years. two years. Yeah. And we ourselves went into the the bathroom in the bathroom we also went to the bathroom we did but we went into the ballroom and suffice to say shit happened it was real yeah it was really it was easily one of the most active sites i've ever been into with a group yes yeah so interesting that my first experience was from my mother's very active room Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. then we go and we have a very active time so every time I've gone and I've been a couple of times since mm-hmm. it's been a little crazy. Every everyone everyone that works in the Adolphus has a story. Everyone. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Because we, we taught when that when we went, you and I and, and the gang, we we talked to them and you know, everyone had a ready story. Oh yeah, if they've worked there for longer than a year, they're like, Oh yeah, because there's there's also the bride of uh, of a uh, uh, the ghost rather of a bride who mm-hmm. died mm-hmm. and who haunt that, that anyone in the kitchen sees and that you know, things like it's it's a really, really haunted place. So much so right. that apparently if you book a room there, the odds are really good that you'll hear or see something Something. and they've been renovating in the past few years which tends to stir shit up stirs and mix that guacamole (laughs) Uh, but not so not to leave on um without telling with just that tease we will come back and fill that story in. It's just, oh, absolutely. It's just, pretty long. It's, just it's a good but i will t- i'll tell another story that happened with my mother and i okay in um in dallas at snuffers Snuffers, you know what? Off Any of, off of uh, Greenville, Greenville, right? Mm-hmm. Any book on ghost haunt- hauntings in Dallas includes Snuffers. Yes. Always has. So now I had talked to previously at some point, and I don't know if they're even still open anymore. I, I don't, don't know, think they're still. I don't think they're still. But they had really great cheese fries. That was their oh my thing. God. But anyway, chives and oh, ranch dressing. Bacon. Mm. Mm. I'm so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> They, uh, I had talked to a waitress, I'm sorry, a server there who uh, had previously come out of the kitchen to see all of the lamps swinging in the same direction. Mm. As if, you know, we have earthquakes like that in Dallas. (laughs) Um, No shaking, no nothing, but all of the lamps over the tables were swinging in the same way. Silverware would get picked up and put down and you know, uh, glasses would move around, tables would get unset, chairs would be knocked over, things like that would happen. But, you know, that was the second hand, just hearing. My mother and I were there <laughs> once uh, with my family, and we, I had to go to the restroom, so I went into the restroom, as, as you do, and there, was a, there were three stalls, maybe four, but there was a woman in kind of the, one of the middle stalls. And so I went into the first one, and she was right next to me. I could hear, whatever. Um, so I was doing my thing, and I hear someone else come in, and they go to the stall on the other side of the woman next to me. Do our thing. Um, 
I hear a cough. Sounds like my mother. <laughs> so I was like, mom, is that you? She was like, yeah. I was like, okay. And we finish, we go to wash our hands. And um, I whisper, I was like, there's a woman right there. Yeah. And my mom was like, yeah, because we both heard her. And when I pushed the door just to check, there was nobody there. There was no one in that bathroom besides us. And we could hear movement. We could hear uh, like the toilet paper roll moving, knocking around, the door moving. And there was nobody in there the entire time. And I think if you've ever been in a public restroom, which we probably all have, you know when someone's next to you. Oh, God, because you're so alert. Yes. So sensitive to any presence, because <laughs> right. I can't pee if there's anyone next to me. I can't. I've it's got a very. That's a real problem yeah, for you. It's I'm a sure. very problem. Even like, yeah, it's a, it's not uncommon for guys to have shy kidneys. <laughs> <laughs> I love you so much. I love you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so what had what had happened was this area where the restroom was located used to be the alley between the restaurant and um, the venue, the music venue next door. So in that alley, a woman at some point had been killed, I think stabbed to death in mm -hmm. the alleyway. Mm -hmm. And it is said she haunts the women's restroom and the men's restroom. I think there are stories from the men's restroom too. Yeah, uh, yeah, so right. it's possible that's what it could have been, but there was definitely somebody there that ended up not being there. And it was one of those things that my mom and I both heard and felt and, and nobody was there. I've never told you this, but I had a manager uh, years ago when I worked in the bookstore who had worked at Snuffers just prior to getting her job as a manager at this bookstore. And she didn't believe in ghosts, but she'd tell you about things that happened to her at Snuffers. And she always, she was very fond of saying, I don't believe in ghosts, but I've seen them. Right. Like Jack, <laughs> whenever something around the house happens and he's like, oh yeah, that was weird. <laughs> when you tell them, remember? It's really, it's really fun. When, we, when I pour over these stories we've told today, I, I really think it's, it's so interesting to me, and I want to explore this at some point, uh, about how ghosts, when they manifest to us, it's really rare that they do it in, in, in a full way. They do it in fragmented ways. Either you hear sound, but there's nothing visually there to support mm -hmm. the sound, or vice versa. You see something, and there's no sound. Um, or that they come separately, like, you know, the jogger on the road and the footsteps. That's kind of rare, um, hearing both. But, you know, it's either the crier in the street, but there's no one to make that noise, even though mm -hmm. it's clearly right there, or the sounds. That It really fascinates me that ghosts seem to only be able to reach out to us, for the most part, in, like, they can only take advantage of one of our senses at any given time. Because mm -hmm. it's so rare. Um, I think I've said this on another podcast, that it is... It's like the holy grail of, of paranormal experiences to see and to have a full body apparition that you interact with right. and don't realize it's a ghost. So real and vivid are they in every respect, sound, sight, all of it, that you don't realize you've dealt with a ghost until afterwards. Right. That's how interesting to me that mm -hmm. ghosts can only ever kind of tap into one of our senses because sometimes yeah. you smell things and there's nothing there to or make that smell. And you're not having a stroke. You're not having Always stick your tongue out just to make sure. Uh, but and and what's great, I'm so excited about being able to explore this in future podcasts. Yeah, so we are, yeah. you know, we're having so much fun with this. So thank you, everyone, yes. um, for listening. That is all for today's episode of Ghoul Intentions. You guys are amazing, and don't forget, this Wednesday we'll be live streaming a Q and A about today's episode on Twitch, where you can find us at Big Surprise Ghoul Intentions. Yeah, go to ghoulintentions.com for links to our social media sites, our blog, previous episodes, and most importantly, where you can submit your own personal supernatural experience for consideration to be read on future episodes of Ghoul Intentions. Do it. Thanks again uh, to all our submitters. You guys, the stories are great. Keep them coming. We can't mm -hmm. get enough. And uh, that's it for today, except for the sign-off. Oh, yeah. Jamie, what am I trying to figure out today? All right. Are you ready for your quotes? <laughs> I I feel like I'm. I got last time, so I, I don't know. think I'm gonna get this one. So I'm not I feel gonna... like this one's easy. See, you say now I'm gonna feel bad when I don't get it. Okay, what is it? Hit All me. Right. Hit me. Good, bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Oh, oh, oh! At first I was gonna say, didn't Jessica Rabbit say that? In, but no, that's. No, that's. I'm not bad. I'm just drawing that. <laughs> that was close. No, that is that is from 
uh, it's one of the Evil Dead's. I want to say it's it's the last one. It's the uh, what's it called? Hang on, it is. Um, it was original title was Ash versus the Evil Dead, but it's not. What is it called? Damn it! Does it count if I get the character right? I think right? You, it counts. And it's the franchise. What's it called? Yes. Why am I blanking? I watched Army this of movie Darkness. so much. Thank you, Army of Darkness. You got it. I'm so proud of you. I kind of got it. I, did, I didn't. I didn't stick the landing quite but as well still. as the last podcast. Last podcast, there was no hesitation. I was like Big Lebowski, but this I one, I was like, Oh, the, I know the character. It's good. All right. That's a good that gives one. me a good direction. Well, I'm glad, that, I'm glad that you got that. <laughs> There were a lot of quotes from that one, too. It was yeah. really hard to narrow it down to one. I am cautiously proud. <laughs> Until <laughs> next time. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm going to push stop now. <laughs>